0: So we're going to continue in First Thessalonians 2 today, and we're going to talk about seeking the glory of God through any hindrance, that we are going to run our race even through the obstacles. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning with each other, Father, that we would Listen intently to it. Father, that you would help me as I speak it. Father, I pray that your word and its pages, Lord, would pour into the lives of the congregation. Lord, I pray that you, the Holy Spirit, Lord, would enliven us today. Lord, to listen and absorb. These words of life that you give us, Father, that we would follow you more closely, having attended today and having listened to your word. Father, I pray that you will be with us throughout the course of the next uh, few minutes of our service today in order to do those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, please open your Bibles with me today, to First Thessalonians 2. We're going to finish up the second chapter of First Thessalonians this morning. So, just a note of where we've been, if you recall, the first of Thessalonians was a greeting from Paul to the church at Thessalonica, the one that just a few weeks before He had been instrumental along with Silas and Timothy in starting. And he is writing to them to reinforce the words that he shared with them, first in the synagogue and later beyond um, to both the Jews and the Greeks of Thessalonica Paul, in the second chapter, has so far offered a defense of his character and ministry. Because, as we talked about, the character of the man of God preaching, the person of God preaching and sharing the gospel is essential to its message. And his defense of himself and his brother's. Silas Timothy and Luke was it was crucial to that effort because they had been demeaned and debased in every city and region that they go to and we saw also that Paul compared himself to a father and to a mother to the people of Thessalonica that the church there were just like his children He compared himself to a nursing mother in one passage and to a father in another passage. So we pick up today with that context and background. And and as we read the first verse, but we brothers and sisters, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while, In person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Here, just as a matter of Bible study, it's a good idea when we're studying the Word to look at different versions of the Bible that are reliable versions, right? We don't want to get into anything that's just, you know, some paraphrase that doesn't interpret the scripture correctly, but versions like KJV, um, NASB, ESV, and when we look at this verse in um, those different um, different versions, um, NASB, ESV, and KJV, you'll find a little bit different wording, but the sentiment is the same for verse 17. He says in NASB that we've been orphaned from you. We've been grabbed away from you. We've been taken away from you. Um, ESV says torn away. KJB says taken from you. All the same sentiment, right? They were displaced uh, in their ministry to the Thessalonians. Then NASB also uses in person, not in spirit, whereas ESV translates this into heart uh, instead. I think that the probably the closer, as you look at the original language, the closer translation would probably be a mixture of NASV and ESV and the other versions, because on one hand, This is a word for orphaned, to be bereaved. Paul is genuinely grieved that he can't continue to teach the Thessalonians. He wants to be there. He treats them as beloved. He (laughs) cherishes them. And this is a good continuation as well with his analogies to a father and to a mother, right? To use the word orphaned. I left you just like you were an orphan, in other words. The other word, spirit, in a lot of places in the New Testament, like Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Cardia is um, translated heart. So that's why ESV and Uh, KJV, use heart there, probably a little bit closer to the Greek. So in heart, but in all, there's a sentiment there that Paul has the love for these Thessalonians (laughs) that he shared the gospel with that responded in kind because the Holy Spirit's works on their (laughs) cardiac, right, on their heart. So we're going to really have three main points of today's sermon on really grouping these verses for three separate parts. First, we're going to look at Paul's love for the Thessalonians and the eagerness to see them. And then we're going to spend probably the bulk of this morning's time on how can Satan hinder Paul and us, as we read in verse 18. And lastly, we're going to talk about why are the Thessalonians Paul's crown in the day of the Lord? So Paul's language reflects how deeply he feels towards them. And he says that he wants to see them face to face again. While he's writing this letter, he has sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. So Paul, if you remember, is in Corinth, writing this letter to the Thessalonians. And it meanwhile, Timothy has gone back to Thessalonica and is coming back to Corinth to give him the news of how they're doing. Um, which goes into this next portion. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us. We don't like to talk a whole lot about Satan. <laughs> um But Satan is a biblical reality, a spiritual reality that we cannot ignore. Modern praise and worship songs sometimes don't even talk about victory over Satan, but sometimes you can hear that victory being talked about in some of the older songs that we talked about, right? Like in the 1800s, A lot of hymns were written that included verses about a victory over Satan and how the Lord has crushed his head and various images that we're used to. So we do need to take a pause. You know, at one point, um, Danny had shared with us and and gave us resources to look at a, uh, in the men's Bible study, a study on spiritual warfare by Spurgeon. And he certainly paid attention to Satan and his role um, in his temptation and going against God's glory and uh, especially the Christian's purpose. So when Paul says, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us, Before we go into some examples, what would you automatically think of, uh, of, of how Satan has hindered the work of God throughout Scripture? Lots of examples. So how did Satan hinder Paul? How has Satan hindered the people of God? And how does he hinder us? Three different aspects that I'm going to talk about this morning. So, how did Satan hinder Paul? One simple answer the mob. The mob. If you read throughout the entirety of Acts, what you would find is that throughout Paul's ministry, throughout all the different missionary journeys, he goes to there are ample examples of where the mob is incited to push him out of the synagogue, to push him out of the city that he's ministering to, to even come in and try and discredit him by other people, to bring other competing doctrines in. In the case of Athens, to have competing philosophies So all of this, there's a mob that is stirred up, that is against Paul and the work of God. One such example, and I will share with you many this morning, but one example is when Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. This is the start of the missionary journeys. This is his first one we find this account. So if you turn with me to Acts 13. Acts 13, 40 through, 44 through 47. And so far in our study and these sermons in First Thessalonians, I referred a lot to Acts because it, it's the companion of what's going on as Paul writes this letter, okay? So Acts 13, 44 through 47, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. The next Sabbath, all the city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region but they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. So notice in Antioch, what happens and why does it happen? Why were they assembled? Verse 44, to hear the word of God to hear the word of the Lord. And then, but what the Jews saw, uh, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Look at this being stirred up, this jealousy. Now you have position. People are listening to you. They're about to listen to the word of God. And they began contradicting Paul. Again, the Jews incited the devout women, these these leading men and and prominent people in the community, the devil begins inciting these uh, Jews to go to them and, and to push Paul and Barnabas out of their region. We don't want that Jesus stuff here, right? We don't want any of that going on because you are upending our authority that we have over these people and all the money that we collect from them and everything that is going on. You are upending the order of our region with this message of the gospel. But praise God that Paul and Barnabas, it says 52 and the disciples were continually filled with the joy Uh, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So today, if Satan tries to hinder us, count it all joy. Count it all joy because he's a defeated foe already. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They counted it joy as they're facing these trials Notice the occasion that those came in. That's going to be important to us examining kind of Satan's methods. The word of God is being preached and this mob is incited. Even this morning, as I'm preaching the word of God, what would come against me? God forbid. Mm -hmm. I am comfortable in here sharing word, and the Bible with my friends. I wouldn't be able to enjoy that in some places of, of the world. We would have to be totally in a secret meeting right now with no one being told, only very few, and given a password to even enter this building. But that is not, thank God, what we have in in, in the present time, in our present place. But as I read through Acts, this, this, these acts of the mob continue over and over and over and over again. In Antioch that I just read, in Iconium, in Lystra, all, uh, all of those places in Asia Minor, today Turkey, as they're heading up, as they're going through their missionary journeys and sharing the word of God. These things get stirred up everywhere, everywhere they go. They share the gospel and the devil stirs something up. In Thessalonica, what happened? How, why did Paul why did Paul Sinus and si, Sinus Sinus <laughs> Silas <laughs> why did Paul, Silas and Timothy leave Thessalonica because of a Jewish mob, right that stirred up people in the city? excuse me Berea same thing happens Corinth even though he gets to stay there 18 months and God says that he has his hand of protection on them and tells Paul not to worry God himself tells Paul not to worry in Corinth eventually he does have to leave in Ephesus it happens again in Greece when he comes back it happens and especially in Jerusalem in acts 21 so if you got if you look through the course of the the verses that i list, listed here you notice that what happens 13 14 17 18 19 20 21 all these different chapters of acts have an instance of him visiting a city And being pushed out by this mob that's been incited. So just as God's word is being spread. Just as his ministry is. And his gospel. Which Jesse pointed out. This eternally planned gospel. To be shared to all of these. The adversary comes. To try and thwart any kind of efforts that would be for people to hear the word so how has Satan hindered Paul by inciting this mob in the case of Jerusalem Paul knows when he steps foot in Jerusalem what is going to happen <clears throat> he alludes to that in acts he knows that once he steps foot in acts or excuse me in Jerusalem he is going to be taken away. And he is. And he's tried at every stage of government, isn't he? He he has to go to the locals. He has to go to the region. He has to go to the king eventually. And then eventually to Caesar. Um. So Paul is stoned. Paul is thrown in prison. On his way to be re-imprisoned, he is shipwrecked. Snake bit. I mean just he's calamity jane right he's got all kinds of things that happen to him but in every step of this the common theme is the mob and how it is incited um to go against the word of god so how are god's people or how have god's people more broadly been hindered by satan Um, I spent a couple of mornings um, plus on reading a a sermon this morning by the Prince of Preachers, right? Charles Spurgeon. He gave an entire sermon based on verse 18. (laughs) So, and buddy, it was a good one too. So I am, I want to give him as a reference because I'm not, uh, do not want to take advantage of the Lord's work through him in a plagiaristic sense. But at the same time, what an excellent commentary on the very verse that we're studying today to be able to read one of his sermons. If you're not familiar with the time period that Spurgeon spoke in, this would be at the very end. So he's preaching this 1865. This is at the very end of the Civil War in the United States. Um, That same time period. Charles Spurgeon is about 31 years old. So he's Matthew's age, Stephen's age, and he's preaching this sermon. We, We tend to think of Spurgeon and we think of the old man with the gray beard, right? But... At this point, he's not the old man with the gray beard. He's the 31-year-old preaching to a full metropolitan tabernacle. Spurgeon's contemporaries in the United States, D.L. Moody. If you know who D.L. Moody was, the evangelist who um, lots of, of folks cite and look up to who was responsible for evangelizing a lot of the United States D.L. Moody was a contemporary of, of Spurgeon in the United States. In fact, these two met each other. D.L. Moody traveled to meet Spurgeon um, and had some time in England um, evangelizing there. Queen Victoria sits on the throne when he's giving this sermon. Um, so, just to kind of put you into the context, it's the same time as Dickens is writing. It's the same time as uh, Lewis Carroll is writing um, Alice in Wonderland. Okay. The same time period is where this, this comes out. I encourage you to look it up. Look up, just Google Spurgeon Satanic Hindrances and read this. It's, it's, it's worth your time. Um so how has Satan hindered the people of God? No no better example than Job. If you think about Job. Job is an upright man. Job is someone that we would look up to in the community if he were in a modern context. A righteous man, big family, faithful wife and what comes against job everything right so when when satan comes he is speaking to the lord and he is given permission to afflict job except what he can't take his life right job is so afflicted that he loses everything. He loses this family. Um, In one case, even, his his wife gets completely down in the dump, loses hope, and tells him to just curse God and die. Wow. To hear that from your spouse, right? But Job would not. But Satan kept on coming against Job. And throughout the course of the story, you see in the last of the story that finally Job acknowledges God even when he has lost everything. And Job, and God does what? Restores it all back. And No clearer example of satanic hindrance than the life of Job. We could probably sit here together and look over the even the Old Testament history that we've studied together so far and be able to recognize the hindrance of Satan at every turn. Uh, Another example is the magicians of Pharaoh. Do you remember when Moses and Aaron go in to talk to Pharaoh? And what? Even the kids know this story, right? what happens when Moses goes into Pharaoh? what does the the staff turn into a snake right And then what do the magicians in Pharaoh's court do? They counterfeit it right and they do the same thing but what happens to their snake <laughs> gets eaten by the one that uh, is from the rock of Aaron. If you think about that, um, eat, Satan is trying to counterfeit using his means, God showing a miracle, God showing what is uh, what is looked at as something that we would be in awe of. Other times, Satan has incited the people of God in a rebellion. If you think about Korah's rebellion, do you remember that when we were studying we studied about Korah and the fact that there was a Levitical named priesthood, right? And Korah questioned, why, why is this Levi's descendants? Why do we have to put those uh, people as and Aaron's people as, as the priests? And so he raises up a rebellion spoiler alert, does not go well for him. In Spurgeon's sermon, he talks about those examples, and he also talks about the fact that even in church history and in his modern history, the devil has come against God's people and God's work. He he gives the example of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther, of course, we look at as one of the ones that started the Reformation with his this little monk with his nail and tacks right and his theses starts starts this Reformation he is one of many right that God used in the Reformation but the Catholic Church comes against him um English church history uh Spurgeon even pulls out during the time of Henry VIII, there were reformers that were coming at that point, Latimer and Wycliffe, uh, to try and reform the Church of England. But then exactly on the opposite side, there were bishops, gardeners and bonners that tried to thwart that effort and actually All of this resulted, as we know, what happened in Henry Henry VIII, did what? Split the Catholic Church from England, made his own version of the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church that's still around today. So throughout biblical history, throughout church history, we could look at every movement of God and we could see Satan trying to come against all of it. Even today, even today, we work, we work in our homes. We teach our children the word. We bring them to church on Sunday. We teach them prayer and, and scripture at home, and try to be godly examples to them as parents and then they go outside of our home and they see how the world interacts with each other or they watch it on television or on youtube right what the world looks like it's always these forces um so how does how does satan hinder us there's he hinders us in Really, every moment that we're trying to do the work of God. The irony of this week, congregation, is that as I'm preparing a sermon that talks about hindrance, I am, I've got one of the more stressful weeks of work that I've had in a long time studying was much more difficult to focus this week i'm i'm a human being a- and that's what happens to us right when we're trying to do something for god we we compete with all of these distractions have you ever been praying have you ever been praying and Everything on your task list starts to invade your mind and you even get interrupted in your prayer life. Sometimes it's by good things, right? You, you could be praying. I was ironically praying this week. Michaela came in my office to tell me goodbye I, as I was finishing up my prayer. Love seeing my daughter. Love telling her goodbye. That's a good thing. But at the same time, that was an interruption to prayer um, and study. Chris Mills, who I dearly loved, that was the first pastor of this church for a long time, dealt with these crazy thoughts, these, these blasphemous thoughts coming into his head and, and just plaguing him. And he, he, prayed about it and asked me to pray about it. And I I mean, had a very difficult time with this at one point, just having this cycle of this interruption and this, these awful thoughts that you don't even know the source of. Why did that even come into my thinking right now? It's hindrance. Um, Remember, we talked about the good that we ought to do in James and that we don't do it. Why do we not do it? Why do we not do the good that we know to do? The world, the flesh and the devil, right? Those three forces are always against those things that we know to do and don't do them. You know, I need to I need to contact a brother so-and-so to check and see how he's doing. Ah, nah, I'll do that after work. Don't have time to do that right now. I need to pray for my sister who is going through something with her family. Ah, I got to answer this email. A lot of times we think that some of those are just kind of your day-to-day distractions, and they are, but some of them have a terrible source. I'm convinced. We can't we can't get ourselves over in the ditch of thinking that everything is from the devil either, right? So we've got to keep our proverbial road that we always refer to. My, my dad used to joke with his brothers as they left each other, keep it in the road. It's what they used to say to each other. Keep it in the road. So don't go on the left ditch of not thinking that there is any... Some people just don't even acknowledge the fact that there is spiritual warfare on the one side. And then there are folks that would blame, you know, stubbing their toe on the devil, you know, whatever happens to them. I got a hangnail. That's straight up Satan today because I got that (laughs) hangnail. (laughs) Let's not go that far, okay? Um, we've got to we've got to have some sort of balance. Got to have some sort of balance of a healthy understanding that this is a reality. It has been a reality throughout Scripture. It is a reality in the present, and will continue to be a reality until the culmination of those things that we've studied about in Revelation comes to pass. Right? We know. Satan's ultimate eternal resting spot. Well, there will be no rest. That's a bad bad way to refer to it. His eternal place is the lake of fire. We know that. Another way that he hinders us is through our lack of fellowship. We put up excuses for not wanting to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that could be in this meeting or it could be in the ignoring everybody that tries to reach out to you throughout the course of the week or not reaching out to anybody yourself. The devil loves to work like that lion that he's described as, isolate this little sheep over here by himself or by herself and convince her that she doesn't need to go and be part of the church assembly. Satan loves to keep us away from the assembly of other believers because you just might get encouraged or you just might hear the word of God or you might get to witness things like a baptism or us all observing the Lord's supper. You may see something that reminds you about the Lord's goodness towards you. Many of you have read Screwtape, right? The Screwtape Letters. It's an interesting read. I definitely wouldn't promote it over scripture, but C.S. Lewis has his own way of describing things. And he, he wrote the Screwtape Letters as a devil writing into his uncle devil about how he's trying to tempt the Christian and keep him away from the things of God. And in it one of the one of the means of of that his uncle screw tape promotes is keeping them away from the assembly. Because we don't like the style of music. We don't like marks higher than necessary voice and Appalachian accent whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is, the devil uses like those really silly preferences uh, to keep us. And it becomes a real problem um, when we isolate ourselves. So what are the markers of satanic hindrance? One Satan's object in hindering us is to prevent us glorifying God. He wants to prevent the glorification of God. If you think about his methods, they come often from bad or self serving methods. What do we, our motives, excuse me? What did we read about in James? How does sin begin? Where does it come through? It comes through our own desires, come bubbling up to the surface, and are propagated into sin. If you have a motivation to do something that would build up the kingdom of God, Bible study, sharing the gospel, reaching out to someone, praying for someone, singing a song, whatever it is. Um and then something interrupts it out of self interest. You need to question where that's coming from. The desires of God and his will are clear in scripture obedience to what he calls us to do, glorifying him. When we have something like that, that interrupts, especially with selfish motives. We know where that's coming from. And and lastly, when do these come? When do these come? Interruptions. God is a God of order. He ordered the entire universe, every atom. Every atom. Anything that is seen is because God created it. And God created your eyeballs to see it with. Right. But the interruption of something that is in order, we don't have we don't have kind of a free flowing, you know, people standing up and testifying in the middle of our services or anything like that. But I guarantee you, if we started to do that, there would occasionally be someone who interrupts that process. I've been interrupted by technology when I've been standing up here trying to deliver a lesson or or a sermon before. You guys have seen it. Um, you know, sometimes it's just bad tech, but sometimes <laughs> it's, it's a hindrance. So what is the remedy as we kind of come to the conclusion this morning? What is the remedy um, for this hindrance? Real simple. Prayer. Prayer is the remedy. Let's treat it as a knee-jerk reaction. When you realize these things, pray. Persistence. Keep pressing on and don't give up through those challenges. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So lastly, Um, verses 19 through 20, for who is our hope or joy or crown of pride in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul's recurrent theme is that one of Jesus coming back. The day of the Lord, he calls it several times. Um, And he lives with that as we talked about in a very real kind of, that's going to happen immediately. That's the background and environment in Paul's head. In Hebrews 12, one through three, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking only at Jesus the originator and perfecter of the faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Language that Paul uses as the crown is the crown that is from an athletic competition. So, the pride, the athlete in the end, his trophy is getting that crown. The Thessalonians are his crown. Um, Paul loves them sacrificially laying down his whole life to do this ministry can you imagine saying everything familiar to me right now my place to live my closet full of clothes my every my community everything i know that's all going to be laid down i am going to be going from town to town preaching the gospel I don't know where, what I'm going to eat. I do know that I'm going to do some tent making and try to take care of myself and others. But that's, that's the skill that I have that I'm going to need to use wherever I go. Can you imagine having such sacrificial love? And then Paul does not dwell on, I was, I was pressed out. When I was visiting you, I was pushed out by a mob and practically killed. He doesn't dwell on that. He dwells on his love for the body of Christ and for God's people. And he lays down his entire life to serve them and to serve the Lord. So they are his crown. That's the only, that's his accomplishment. If Paul has one, he is saying that they they are his crown, just like our legacy of who we share the word with and our lives lived towards God will be ours. And although Satan seeks to impede the glory of God, he is defeated already and his fate is sealed. We know the one that has created everything, including Satan, and he is defeated. So we can rest in that. We press on in our walks through hindrance, running towards Jesus, just like the Hebrews verse says. If you've never been a runner, um, just picture getting to the end, exhausted in your race, but having in your mind that finish line. And the person standing at it is the Lord. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. So we are running this race as Paul compares it to getting this crown. And we win when we get to see Jesus. I'm going to leave you with a hymn that we sing, and one of its verses in it as well. This is what the verse says. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you this morning that it is well with our souls that we rest in you, that we rest in our Sabbath. Father, the one that has given us the ability to rest, knowing that our sins are forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be unhindered, In our glorification of you. That we would walk more closely with you. Lord, that we would tell others about you. Father, and that we would be about our father's business. Building up your church. Building up the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.